Hello and welcome to another episode of Yahweh in His Own Word. And today we're thinking about what does Yahweh want. You know, one thing that is scary, if you like, in a Christian circle is this idea of what is God's will. Come on, be honest. If you're anything like me, you have thought about those words and you have been a bit concerned. Because whenever we think about the idea of what is God's will, our mind always goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't it? Or am I the only one? And we're thinking about Jesus saying, not my will but yours. And we think God's will usually involves some kind of cross. And so we get a bit concerned. I remember um, in a moment in my life when I was quite low and coming across the, the scripture and Jesus saying, I've loved you even as the Father loved me. And I, I remember thinking, Lord, that's not really comforting right now because, you know, the, the Father did send you to the cross and I could really do without that at the moment. Yeah, yeah, you might, you might sit there and judge me, but you've all thought it. You've all thought it. You've all thought about what is God's will and got a bit nervous. Because it's not like, when, it's, it's, it's different, like if we're discussing God's will, like in a church meeting or in gathering and we're thinking, oh, what, what do you think is God's will? What's the decision God wants us to make about, you know, these pews? That's a different kind of topic. But I'm thinking more about when we think, what is God's will for my life? Where do I fit into the story that God is telling? Where do I fit into the work that God is doing in the world? <clears throat> How do I fit into it? And one of the reasons I find, definitely for me, why we get nervous is because we are so keen to hold on to our temples. Our temples, yes. A David reference. David in, in the book of Second Samuel chapter 7 after I think the ark has been brought back to Jerusalem. David is sat in his palace and he's experiencing rest. God has given him victory over his enemies. It's all good. And as he sat in his palace, he thinks to himself, is it right that I live in this glamorous um, palace surrounding while the ark of God remains in a tent? And then he has a chat with Nathan, the prophet, and and he's minded to build a temple, to build a temple for the Lord. That's what he's inspired to do in that moment. And we all have our temples. We all have that big plan that we have for our life. We've, We've constructed it. It's beautiful. We think this makes so much sense. This is me. This is who I am. This is what I, this is my dream, this is my passion, this is my interest, this is my comfort, and we have this big dream of this big temple. And the concern that we have is that perhaps if we take it to God, God might turn around and say to us, that's a great idea, but... I have a different plan for you and that makes us nervous because we, we we believe that this temple idea is 
is the idea it's perfect it's beautiful god how can you want something else it was definitely how i felt in my own journey i also had this idea of a temple and that's the thing david's idea to build a temple it was to honor god and most of the time when we come up with our big plans we have all also factored you know our loyalty to god in there there's a room for god in those plans we we do our best to put him at the center hoping that that will um placate him somewhat and i had i had my own big plans and it's like you know god how can you disagree with these plans they're so beautiful they're so brilliant and that's our concern isn't it that we may bring these plans this our temple blueprint before the lord and as it was in the case of david god might say actually i have something else in mind for you but you know it, it's 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 great to be in god's will in all truthfulness it's great to be in god's will it's great to be in god's story there are two benefits of being in god's story first of all when we find ourselves in the center of god's story for our life when we're in god's plan it is the place that we are mostly blessed it's the place that we are mostly blessed it was a eureka for me if you like when i saw it in second samuel 12. in second samuel 12 verse 7 and 8 god is has sent the prophet nathan to tell david off for something he's done wrong but there was a line that stood out for me god says to david I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you his house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. If that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. It's a sense that when you when we find the place as our place in god's story everything is on the table that's when the whole idea of ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you when we find our place in god's story everything is on the table you only need to look at the people people like paul and peter and john and moses and david you only need to see the great their great experiences of the power of god to understand that to find our place in God's story is to be right at the center of the experience of how truly great God is. The second reason is because God never loses control of his story. God never loses control of his story. While we, we lose control of ours. So if I stick, for example, to my plan and to my temple, I don't have control over the story. I don't have control over the economy. I don't have control over health. I don't have control over wealth. I don't have control over life. There's there so many things in life and in the world that are out of my control. So if I want to live in accordance with my story, the problem is I don't have control of the story. But God 
never loses control of his. The story of Joseph in the Bible is a prime example where Joseph says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God used for good. You see, even when everything conspired against making Joseph's dream come true, he had seen himself as a leader in his family home and suddenly he was being sold to be a slave far away from his family and when things started picking up for him in Egypt he ended up in prison but even no matter how the enemy tried no matter how people tried because God never loses control of his story Joseph ended up exactly where God said he would be so the advantage of being part of God's story, God's plan, rather than our own, is that A, at the center of God's plan is where we are in prime position to experience just how great this God is. And B, God doesn't lose control of his story. It ends, it goes and it ends exactly the way that he says. Because Like I said, the discomfort that we have in this question of what is God's will for my life is that we worry that it's not going to be as good as the one that we came up with ourselves. That God's dreams will not be as good as our own dreams. That God's hopes will not be as good as our own hopes. And that God's desires for us will not be as interesting as our own desires. And that's the sticking point for us. That's the discomfort for us when we're on this journey of God, what is your will? Especially when we've been trying to build the temple and the temple is not getting built. And then we begin to suspect perhaps, perhaps the temple is not getting built because God wants something else. And perhaps God begins to prompt us and to say, I want something else for you and then we begin to think oh oh no oh no but this is where Jeremiah 29 11 comes in but but the thing with Jeremiah 29 11 and, and it's and it's funny the enemy is clever a lot of scholars and preachers and theologians have a big problem with Jeremiah 29 11 we have a big issue with the way that we use it as church with the way that we interpret it as children of God they have a big problem with it you know I've heard different theologians and preachers people far smarter than I am I hasten to add so maybe they're right and I'm wrong but they are keen to point out that Jeremiah 29 11 those words given to the prophet Jeremiah by God where God says to his people I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. You know, that's the message version. Those words, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to take care of you, not to hurt you. Plans to give you a future worth hoping for. The scholars argue that those words 
was said for a particular group of people at a particular time. That those words are not words that we as individuals can hold on to and put on our fridges and, and, and take comfort in. Because that those words were meant for the people of Israel at a specific time regarding a specific thing God was doing in their lives. But I think that the scholars and theologians, they miss the point. They miss the point. To think that way is to miss the point about scripture. The reason God has given us his words is so that we can find him in it. The question that we should be asking, especially when we see a revelation of God saying something or God doing something, this God Yahweh, the question that we should be asking is that, what does this tell me about who God is? What does this tell me about who Yahweh is? I've got two sons. Asher and Joshi. Now, if I called Asher up and I said to him, Listen, Asher, I've planned out your week and the things that are going to happen and the things that you're going to do. But when I've planned your week out, I've done it with the intention of giving you a week where you thrive and you shine and you do well. Everything that I've planned out in this journey this week, I've done it so that you can thrive and shine and do well. If I have that conversation with Asha and if I do that for Asha, it will make me a pretty useless dad if I did not do the same for Joshi. If I did not also have a plan for Joshi, and if that plan wasn't also to give him a week where he thrived and where he did well. If I only did that for Asha but I didn't do it for Joshi, if I only had that kind of heart for Asha but I didn't have that kind of heart for Joshi, it would make me a pretty useless dad. The bottom line is a good father would say, I have a heart that plans out the week for my child so they shine that's how i do that's what i do for all my children that's how i interact with all my children and what we find in the gospels is that god refers to israel as his child as his son Interestingly, in Exodus, he refers to Israel as his firstborn son, which is interesting. In Hosea, again, as his son, I called my son out of Egypt. And what did Jesus come to do for us? He said, he, for all who believed in him, he gave the right to be called children of God. You see, what Jeremiah 29, 11 reveals to us about Yahweh is that he is a father a God who makes plans, who has plans for his own. And the purpose of those plans is to give his children a future worth hoping for. The purpose of those plans is to take care of his children, to protect them, to shelter them, to make sure that they are in an environment where they thrive. In Job, 39 
God speaks about the ostrich. He says, The ostrich flaps her wings grandly, but they are no match for the feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on top of the earth, letting them be warmed in the dust. She doesn't worry that a foot might crush them or a wild animal might destroy them. She is harsh toward her young as if they were not her own. She doesn't care if they die, for God has deprived her of wisdom. He has given her no understanding. God is saying that a mother who would treat her children, a parent who will treat her children with this lack of duty or care is a sign of an absence of wisdom and an absence of understanding. He's saying that the ostrich being harsh towards her young as if they were not her own. The ostrich not worrying that she's placing her eggs in a place where they might be crushed. He's saying that the ostrich not worrying that she's placing her her eggs in harm's way where, where wild animals may destroy them, that this shows foolishness. Those are God's words. And we know that our God is full of wisdom. So he's inferring that this is not how I operate. We see God throughout the Old Testament that we, we find that we have a, a God who is detailed in his planning. Whether that was the building of the tabernacle or the coming of the Messiah. We see a God who plans. And we see in Jeremiah 29, 11, the purpose of his plans. His plan is to take care of his own so that they have a future worth hoping for. You see, to get bogged down with, oh, but it was for, it was about the Israelites and da 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 da, is to miss the point of scripture. The way that God is as a father does not change because God does not change. He's perfect. He does not need to change. He cannot be changed. So who he is as a father is who he will always be as a father. And the way that he, he showed great love and compassion as a father to one set of children is the way that he will show great love and compassion to all his children. In Genesis 28, God shows up in a dream to Jacob. Now at this point, Jacob had no relationship with God. So God shows up in a dream to Jacob in, in Genesis 28 and he announces himself to Jacob. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. Now, what God is saying here to Jacob to summarize is he's saying, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac, 
and I will be your God too. Because all the things that God is saying that he's going to do, all the things that Yahweh is saying he's going to do, is in line with the covenant that he made to Abraham and to Isaac in his status as their God. And so he's saying to Jacob, I am the God, I am Yahweh, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac, and I will be your God too. Now hear these words from Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 13. And because of what Christ did, all you others too who heard the good news about how to be saved and trusted Christ were marked as belonging to Christ by the Holy Spirit, who long ago had been promised to all of us Christians. His presence within us is God's guarantee that he really will give us all that he promised. And the Spirit seal upon us means that God has already purchased us and that he guarantees to bring us to himself. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God. And what he's saying here is that receiving the Holy Spirit, remember being born of the Spirit, receiving that gift of the Holy Spirit that was promised by God is simply God's way of saying to us, I am Yahweh, the Father of your Lord Jesus Christ, and I will be your Father too. Receiving the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus is Yahweh's way of saying to us, having His Spirit indwell us is His way of making that same statement to us, saying, I am Yahweh, the Father of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and I will be your Father too. It is no wonder Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. All of God's promises, all of who God is, is yes for us. It's it's ours in Christ Jesus. So regardless of what anyone has told you about Jeremiah 29, 11, it is for you. Your father is one who has a plan for you. One that is centered around taking care of you, protecting you and giving you a future worth hoping for. It is ultimately his plan that we can trust because in his plan, we find ourselves in a story that God does not lose control of. In his plan, we find ourselves safe at the center of his presence, positioned and postured to experience the powerful reality of who God is. Discovering God's will for our lives, asking the question of God's will for what God's will for our life is, letting go of our temple, we need not be afraid of it. No, we need not be afraid to let go of the temple. One of my favorite quotes comes from A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. And he says these words, Father, I want to know thee, but my coward heart fears 
to give up its toys. Father, I want to know thee, but my father's, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. You don't need to be afraid to give up your toys any longer. Exchange your toys for the real deal. God's carefully, lovingly, compassionately thought out plans for your life. Your place in the story that God is telling. Be part of that story. Trust your father. You are safe in his care. This has been Yahweh in his own words. I'll see you next week for part two. God bless you.